Okay, so Father, thank you that we have been um, privileged to be able to do all of this. Thank you that we live in this time, that you have um, opened up a door for us and you're just asking us to go through it. Thank you that, um, that you will empower us as we go, that you'll enable us, that you're the one who will give us the words to say and the way to say it and, and you will take our fear and it will be trodden underfoot because you are a God who is great and magnificent. So I, I praise you, Lord, because you are showing that to us, that as we study week by week, as we study about um, all the, the people in the Bible, we know we start to know you better, and we see who you are and how you work and, and all your promises to us. And, and so I thank you for it, Lord, and I, I pray now as we go into this morning that you would really light a fire in us, Lord, just light us up again. Lord, I, I suppose, you know, more and more I realise in my own life, Lord, and I guess we all do, that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And so, Lord, we need you to keep on lighting that fire in us mm. and, and giving us the encouragement and the understanding that you will do what you call us to do, that you will enable us to do it. So, um, Lord, you know who needs prayer today. You know all of the things that are going on. You know uh, the ones who are going in for operations. You know the ones who are waiting for news of various things. You know it all, Lord God. So we just lift it all up to you and ask you, Father, to do what only you can do. And we trust, Lord, we trust that you have the very best for each one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we finished the last session by... Um, thinking about the fact that we had to apply what we saw Hezekiah and the Levites do, the cleansing of the temple, to ourselves, to our individual lives and to the corporate life of the church. And um, you see that in Second Chronicles 29 and in um, the um, Second Kings, uh, First Kings 18 um, corresponding passage. Um, so what we'll see now as we go on, and I think the homework led you a little bit into this, was that Hezekiah will now appeal to the people at large. You see, up till a certain, that what we talked about last week, Hezekiah's only been speaking to the priests. He's been speaking to the, the uh, leadership, the rulers and the priests. And they're the ones who went into the temple and cleaned it out. And, and now he's going to open that up and he's going to call um, everyone. And, um, and he's going to say, the temple's clean. Will you come in? And... You know, really, the more I think about this, the more I think, you know, we're in that position, aren't we? We're, we're saying we want to be clean for the Lord. We want to be used for the Lord. And we are coming to him. I mean, I know I am, and I hope you are, coming to him and saying, Lord, please, you know, get rid of all this stuff that's still there in me. Get rid of the, the way that I can be so easily knocked off course. You know, just just straighten me up and lift me up and walk me on and all of the issues of my life which are different to yours but all of the issues I keep asking him Lord can you just get rid of it can you make it less in my life can you help me to deal with it so that I can present outwardly someone who's transformed that's what it means to be clean it means to be transformed from what you were to what what God wants you to be that's what Hezekiah did to the temple he transformed it from what it was to what God had in originally intended it to be. And that's what our transformation is. It's making us into what God originally intended us to be. 
And all of our stuff, all of the ways that we hang on to past hurts and offences and rejection and bitterness and all of the tragedy of life that we've had to face and we've had to come through and, and all of the circumstances we find ourselves in now and the difficulty we have with sin and all of that gets in the way of his transformation. And so I feel like when, what we looked at last week when Hezekiah, when the, when the priests and the Levites went into the temple and they found all those despicable things in there that were defiling the temple and they took them out and threw them in the Kidron Valley. That's just such a wonderful picture for us. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's really what I've been praying, Lord, would you do? You know, there's so much selfishness in there, <coughs> honestly. It's hard to imagine. You know, you just, and, and I'm faced with it all the time, you know. How much pride, how much selfishness, how much everything is still in me. And so I'm constantly saying to the Lord, you know, you've promised to take this from me. You've promised to transform me. Would you help me to go along with your work? Because I want it done fast. And I feel like we are really corporately now, as a ministry, we are in a tremendously exciting place. If we can individually say to the Lord, right, I want done with all of that. I'm not going to be held back by any of that anymore. I'm going to put that on one side and trust you to make it right. And then go on with him. So um, this is what Hezekiah does. And, 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 and what he does now is that the, the house is clean and he's going to call the people to come into it. And actually, when you think about when he does this, as a king, he's completely unproven. He's untested. His first job when he came into the kingship was to clean the temple. He's never had to call the people to do anything. They, they don't really know what he's like. They know his father, but they don't know him. So there's this call out to the people to come, and he's calling, saying, you know, will you, will you trust me? Will you trust me um, on the basis of what I've done? And... Um, what you see in this chapter is that Hezekiah's honouring of God calls people, draws people into the temple. Because he honoured God with his life and with this cleaning of this temple, with his focus, with his passion for God and for everything, it drew people to do the same thing. Now I know that that is what God's saying to us, that if you honour God with your life, if you decide to do what I've just said to do, then he will bring people in. He will bring people in. And, you know, a lot of us, we might be in the last, well, I know I've probably got another 50 years or so, if the Lord doesn't, you know, but, you know, wherever we are in the course of our life, you know, we've got less time probably ahead of us than we had behind us. And so I don't want to waste any of it. And I want to make sure that every day of my life I am honouring God so much that other people will see that. Not, not necessarily because of... But just that God will work through me and call people to himself. And that's what he did with Hezekiah. He worked through Hezekiah and he called people to himself. So, um, and they responded in amazing ways, the people. So let's read um, 2 Chronicles 29... Um, verse 25 to 31, please. Second um, Chronicles 29, 25 to 31. 
then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps and with lyres, according to the command of David and of Gad the king of Seir and of Nathan the prophet, for the command was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the musical instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offering on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord also began with the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. While the whole assembly worshipped, the singers also sang, and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Now at the completion of the burnt offerings, the king and all who were present with him bowed down and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with joy and bowed down and worshipped. Then Hezekiah said, now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all those who were willing brought burnt offerings. Thank you. And then someone read verse 35 and 36, please. There were also many burnt offerings with the fat of the peace offerings and with the libations for the burnt offerings. <coughs> Thus the service of the house of the Lord was established again. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people because the thing came about suddenly. Thank you. So what you see is this great rejoicing. And this hasn't been something that they spent years getting to. This was something that happened really quickly. It was what, as we said, Hezekiah first did when he first took the throne. And that has been contagious because they've seen, the people have seen this. And they have willingly brought sacrifices. That, that phrase, they brought willingly, um, is really crucial. Hezekiah is the king. He could have made people do whatever he wanted. But they came willingly to bring their sacrifices, to bring their offerings. And, um, and all the, um, the, the whole uh, environment of it is praise. It's all praise and singing. They're singing psalms that David would have written. They're, they're singing his songs and coming before God in joyful singing, really. Um, just at being able to come. Imagine. All of Ahaz's reign, they haven't been able to come to the temple. He closed the doors of the temple. They haven't been able to get to God. That's the society we live in. Because the doors of the temple have been closed. People cannot find God because so much of the, of the professing church has not talked about the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm not laying blame on there. I'm just saying that's a fact. And, and so now we have this opportunity. God has been at work to turn young people back and to, to get them to think, why am I, why, I don't want to go this way. I don't want to go the way of my parents and my grandparents and their parents. I want the truth. They're hunting for spiritual truth everywhere. And we have to give it. And the, you cannot speak what you haven't lived. 
You just can't do it. You can't call someone to do something that you have not done or aren't prepared to do with them. And that's what you see with Hezekiah. He's cleansed himself. The Levites have cleansed themselves. They've consecrated themselves. They've cleaned up the temple. And now that's what the people respond to. They respond to not an order from the king. They respond to what they see before their eyes. And they willingly bring their sacrifices. And, um, and what you see in verse 31 is really interesting, I think, because they don't just bring the sacrifices and thank offerings and leave them. They actually eat them. It's so incredible because um, we sometimes have this idea that the sacrifices they brought were just for the death of the animal or the, or the burnt offering or it was all going to be somehow lost in the temple. But what they're doing is, can you see what they're doing? They're bringing their offerings and they're actually eating of the offerings that they've given to God. So God is feeding them from what they have given to him. And that's always the promise of God. I will bless those who honour me. I will bless those who bless me. I will provide abundantly. Give me your might. You know the widow's might in the temple in, in Jerusalem. When Jesus turns and says she gave all that she had and, and, and God has seen that. God gives us back. When our little tiny offering comes in, he gives us back so much more. Yeah. That's what we're seeing here. And they're feasting on what they've brought for the Lord. Can you imagine the scene? It's hard to imagine yeah. it. But it just, it's an amazing picture. And, um, and through eating together, they remember God. They remember the goodness of God. Now cast your mind back, can you, to John's Gospel, John chapter 6. Where it's in, in, uh, John's Gospel is quite a good one to follow because it goes, it, it's more or less chronological through Jesus' life from feast to feast. And it um, talks about him in John chapter 6. It's starting, he's starting to have real conflict going on everywhere he goes. And in John chapter 6, he talks about a lot of different things. It's a very long chapter. I think it's about 66 verses long. And he says in that, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And I think this is what he's alluding to. The sacrifice that was eaten by the people in the temple. This is what we're supposed to be doing with Christ. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. Because it's not enough to know who he is. It's not enough to say, oh, I believe that Jesus came and he died. Hold on a sec, Julia. He came and he died and he did it for me. You have to actually partake. You have to eat of his flesh. Go ahead. Is that, Symbolically. Is that now talking about communion? No, um, no. Jesus wasn't talking about communion in John 6 because he, would, he was talking to people who didn't believe in him in John 6. Mm -hmm. Communion is an act of remembrance by people who know and love Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because what communion is, is the, pr the proclamation of Jesus' death mm -hmm. until he comes. So when you and I take communion, we're encouraging one another. Yes. Jesus died for me. Yes. He died for you. And he's coming back. Hallelujah. So in John 6... There's no belief. I mean, there's very few believers with him. And actually, if you get to the end of the chapter, what Jesus, when he says this, you've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, what it says at the end of the chapter is many, many of his disciples walked away. And what they said was, this is too hard for us. Who can receive it? And so that truth. 
that you had to partake of Jesus just was too difficult for them. This is too difficult for, for us. Who can understand it? And so they walked away. And he turns to his 12 at that time and he says, you're not going to leave also, are you? And, and Peter says, where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of life. So there's a, a recognition in Peter and, and in the other disciples that these are words of life. What, what, when Jesus comes on the scene, he constantly alludes to the Old Testament. He talks about, I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. I'm the bread of life. I'm the manna that, that God fed your forefathers. I am the bread of life. I am the sacrifice. I am all of those things. And you must partake of me. You have to partake of me. And here we see it in Hezekiah's time. That's what they're doing. They're partaking of the sacrifice. It's an amazing thing, really. Go ahead, Sue. Well, say? I'm just thinking that what Jesus is gently doing is sort of, is he not saying that he is God? Yes. Because they, the Jews that would have been listening to him yes. would have known all about yes. the sacrifices in the temple to God. Mm. And, mm. and when they do that, they're you know, coming to God. So that exactly. would, would have been a sort of... Subtle way exactly. of saying, you're actually, yeah. you come to me, you're actually yeah. to God. Exactly. And that's what he does say to them all the time. You want to see God, look at me. Yeah. You want to hear God, look at, listen to me. All the time. I and the Father are one. I only do what I see the Father doing and I only say what I hear him saying. It's just this constant, yeah, you're right. And so that would have brought to the... See, we can't understand some of that stuff because we're not Jews. We didn't have all that tradition. But for them, they understood what he was saying and they wouldn't accept it because it was just too much. And, um, but for us now, when we're thinking about how can we leave a legacy, what are we going to leave behind us when we go? What are we going to pass on to our children and our grandchildren? What is it that we're going to pass on to our spiritual children even? What are we going to pass on if it's not the fact that Jesus is magnificent and we are to partake of him? We are to receive him and eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. You know. So back in Second Chronicles 29, we find that the people... Yeah, go ahead, Linda. Yeah, sure. Sorry, Linda. I've been looking through this and I maybe didn't, but I can't see where, where the actual feasting is. Uh, um, okay, let me see. Um, I should have put the verse down, but... Uh, um, they brought seven bulls, seven rams, and seven lambs. Is that the part? Yeah, when they're... Where are we? Yeah, maybe it's in 30. Maybe yeah. I'm just ahead of myself. Yes, yes, yes. Because, um, oh yeah, it's the Passover sacrifice. I'm ahead of myself. Sorry. It's the Passover sacrifice. But also the priests, remember, they did partake of all the sacrifices. They were eating them. So, um, I just say in verse uh, 34 that there weren't enough priests 
to, yes. uh, oh, so they were unable to skin all the burnt offerings, right? Because not enough had been consecrated. Oh, uh, right. Not 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 enough of the priests. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, their brothers the Levites helped, helped them until them the work was completed. Work. Yeah. 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 Yes, and I think it's it, it's in there with the. Um, the fact that they are skinning these animals, they are uh, there's burnt offerings, there's libations for the burnt offerings. All of that is this idea of a feast. But I think probably I'm taking it more from Passover, the next chapter. God had prepared for the people. Thank you, thank you. What God had prepared for the people. So I think it's in there, Linda. It's a little bit obtuse in 29, but you will see it in 30. Don't be sorry. I'm really, I'm glad. Yeah, no. Thank you. Thank you. So I think you. that the peace offering also um, was um, partly offered to God and partly to the Levites yes. and partly you actually yourself. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Jill. Yeah. Um, yeah. I should make notes of the verses and things, but I forget sometimes. So, um, Okay. So, um, right. So the, sac- the, the whole picture of chapter 29 is there's so much being brought in that the Levites can't handle it all. And the, the people are rejoicing. And so um, the Levites have to put in overtime, as it were. That's again, again, that's for you and me. We've got to put in overtime because there is so much out there that could be brought in. We've got to put in overtime to do all the things that are there. And then verse 35, then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people because the thing came about suddenly. You see, the, the text doesn't say that the worship in the temple just restarted. It doesn't. It could have said that. It could have said Hezekiah restarted the temple worship because that's what he did. But there's this kind of uh, idea of this great rejoicing and, and crowds of people coming um, into the temple. And that's what revival does. It stirs up people's hearts to rejoice and to come in. And, um, <coughs> and also the fact that it was suddenly. Hezekiah got all of this done really quickly. Really quickly. Why is that? I mean, when we think, we think, I'm thinking to you, I mean, you know, I'm not getting old, but all you lot are getting old. So, you know, think about, you haven't got a lot of time, so you're going to have to get things done quickly. Right? So what, yeah, so what is behind that, that it was done suddenly, that people were rejoicing because it was suddenly? That if you start doing what God wants you to do, Amen. it will go boom, 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 boom. There'll be a train of fire that lights up. Chapter 34, it says for the Levites were more conscientious to concentrate themselves than the priests. Yes. So they were yes. rushing forward to volunteer. Yes, exactly. Because they could see yes. what God was doing. Yes. Which is amazing. There's this past. More yeah. conscientious than the priests. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, it's that the desire and the urgency that Hezekiah had that passed itself on, and God used that. He used it. He used Hezekiah's desire and his urgency and his passion. God used it all to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And so, you know, I I often think about that. Do you have a desire for the Lord? He gave you that. He gave it to you. Because he wants you to have a passion for him. 
And so if he gave you that desire, do you think he's not going to bring it to fulfillment? Of course he is. And as, in as far as you give yourself over to that passion and that desire, he will just stoke up what he does. Absolutely. It's all through scripture. Give yourself over to the Lord and he will do amazing things through you, whoever you are. And, you know, I get caught up a lot with, you know, but I'm this and I'm that and I'm old and I'm a woman and, and who am I and, and how can I do any of that? And I have to keep coming back to the fact that it's not about me. It's about God. He is an amazing God and he can do whatever he wants through whoever he wants. And why would he not choose us? Why would he not choose Rosemary? Why would he not choose Kim? Why would he not choose you? When all of his words says, I chose you, I want you, I want to make you into the glorious image of the Son of God. And I think as well, the more you pray about that, the more it will happen. Definitely, yeah. I've recently, in about the last three, four months, I've been praying for a I read something about it in a book from the 1800s, and I've been praying about revival and now I go to different churches and they're all talking about a revival <laughs> and everybody wants this revival yes. and you just yes. mentioned it and I yes. think you know, hallelujah, thank you yes. God praise the Lord and revival starts with purification and holiness that's what we talked about last week, that's what we talked about on week one, you cannot have revival without holiness, God is a holy, holy, holy God he will bring holiness, he will make it an urgent passion of yours to be holy you know, and, and who would ever want to be holy, for goodness sake? It's the last thing a human being would want to be. Because it's just not in our psyche. We don't want to be holy. We want to be selfish. We want to be, you know, happy and content. And whatever makes me happy, that's what I want to do. An easy life, yes. So... The desire for holiness comes from God. The desire for revival comes from God. The desire for him comes from him. And he will fulfill it. And Hezekiah's step-by-step, step, we talked about this last time, this step-by-step step, uh, spiritual renewal, it's written all over the place. It, reconsecration, a decision to come back to God. Amen. A decision that whatever I've been doing so far, even if I have been working, even if I have been that that's not enough for me. I want more. I want more, I want more, I want more. That, that decision, I'm not content with, with what I know of you, Lord. I want to know more about you. That reconsecration, and then the cleansing, the purification of your own life that comes from that. God will not let you know him better if you refuse to purify yourself. Like it or not, he has chosen to make you involved with your sanctification. To make me involved with sanctification. And he will not force sanctification on you, just as he didn't force justification on you. Just, because, just as he didn't make you believe, he won't make you sanctified. He could do it in an instant, but he won't. Because he wants you to go along with him in that work, because that's your act of love. Yeah, and we've got, we can choose. Yes, he wants you to choose to love him. That was the whole purpose of making human beings with choice. What was the point in it if he's now going to make you do things? Or do it for you? The whole purpose from beginning to end is God wants people to choose to love him. 
because he could do this in a second. Exactly, and he would have done it with that. Why did yes. he give Adam and Eve choice? Because he wants to, them to choose to love him and obey him and serve him. And now in your sanctification, in this life of sanctification, that's what he's waiting for. Will you choose to consecrate your life to me, to purify yourself? And then will you choose to rededicate the sanctuary? So your ministry or your fellowship or your church, your congregation, whatever, will you dedicate your life back to God in that place? Will you say to him, I'm going to do your will in this place? That's what Hezekiah did. And then will you encourage other people to do it too? Will you encourage other people? And will you separate yourself to do it? You know, consecration involves a separation. You have to separate yourself from the old way, from the way other people might be going, from, yeah, from, from your old, old thinking, actually. You have to deliberately separate yourself from all the stuff that will seek to drag you down and back into um, your old life. And I'm not talking just about uh, sin now. I'm talking about the voice in your ear that says, well, not me. God couldn't use me. That's the enemy. And you have to separate yeah. yourself from the enemy and from your own heart. You know, when you're still so easily offended and you're still so easily rejected, you have to decide right now, okay, I'm done with that now. Now, every time I get that feeling that comes in, every time that stirs itself up, I'm separating myself from that. Is that heart stuff or is that mind stuff? Because I don't feel that in my heart. Because I always say to God that the Holy Spirit is now in control of my heart. But I've mentioned this before, I get it in my head a lot. And it's what do you mean by your heart? What do you mean when you say heart? What do you mean? That is who I am now. But I, I say to God, I said, God, you have my spirit, you have my soul, you have my heart, but I struggle with my mind. And I want to give my mind to God, but I really struggle with it because I, I feel that the enemy is in my head. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever seen my diagram of three circles, one inside the other? No. Okay. This is what you're describing as your heart. Uh, it's actually your spirit. Mm -hmm. And God has taken up residence in there by his spirit. So you are alive. Your spirit is alive. And he's at work in you. And he's, he's, he's working towards your um, soul. That's your mind. That's your, uh, all your senses. It's everything uh, about you as a human. Right. So it's your emotions. It's your uh, understanding. It's your thinking. It's all of that. And this out here is your body. That's the five senses. Right. Okay. So um, what happens when you come when you get born again is the Holy Spirit comes in and He takes up residence and He changes you from death to life. His Spirit lives in you, and you are now totally and utterly alive in Christ Jesus. But you're still carrying around your character, your personality, and your mind, and your um, understanding, and all the things that you have always done, and all your habits and everything else. It's those things that God's changing. And he's changing it from the inside, the in, inner circle, where the spirit is, out. And he's changing it from the outside in. He, and the outside in part is you. It's you deciding yeah. the thoughts that come into your mind, yeah. I'm not having them. Yes. Yeah. I'm not having them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, Lord, you live within me. 
you say you don't want me to have this thought, so I don't want this thought either. Yes. So let's work, let's, I'm going to work with you to yes. just get rid of it. And that's what I mean by consecration, Juliet. Yes. Juliet. When you know this, yes. that your mind is still your mind, and yes. it's now my part of my job to work with God on that, now you can say, okay, it's like someone coming in the door, you know, like a, a, a rat trying to get in the door. My, my daughter's got mice in the house, so it's on my mind at the moment. But, so it's like a rat or a wild animal trying to get in the door, right? Everything in you would run to that door and shut that door and barricade it up. Yeah. That's what you have to do with your mind. When those thoughts come in, be they sin, be they uh, discouragement, be they whatever they are, you have to say, that is not true and I'm not having it in my, in my head. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the Lord also is teaching us that quite often when we say that, we're actually stifling them back down again. We're ah. having that feeling and we're stuffing it mm. back down. Mm. And then actually when some conflict comes up, all the stuff comes mm. out again. Mm. I think that's where it says the mm. words of your mouth are yeah. an indicator of what's going in your heart. Mm. So actually when you feel those feelings, I think it's really important to speak them out, oh, yeah. to actually ask the Lord to lift them out of yeah, you. Definitely. Being, mm. Because otherwise you've still got them there. Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that, I think that's partly what that Second uh, uh, Corinthians um, five. I always get it mixed up. Is it ten five or five ten? I think it's five ten. So Second Corinthians five ten. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Destroying uh, fortresses. <coughs> that's what they are. They're fortresses and strongholds that you know you might have stuffed down. So now you're, as you speak them out and talk about the Lord to them, you're destroying them. And I, yeah, that's, yeah, thank you. That's important. But, but you see, what I'm saying is, it's we ten don't always, 10-5, thank you, of course. My husband always says, if it's a 50-50 choice, I always go the wrong way. <laughs> so, and it, that's true. Um, so, uh, what was I going to say? can't remember. Oh, yeah, but it all starts with us consecrating ourselves. You cannot do this if you're not consecrated. Because, and also because when you're consecrated, when you say to the Lord, show me what is wrong in my thinking. Show me the truth. You know, I have always had, I'm sorry to always talk about me, but it's because I'm here and I'm giving the example, but I've always had a strong feeling that I disappoint that I disappoint my parents, that I disappointed my friends, that I'm not the friend I should be, that I'm not the child I should be, that I'm not the wife I should be, that I'm not this, that I should be. And it comes from my childhood and my teenage years. I was loved, greatly loved as a child and as, a, you know, as, a, as I grew up. But it was always, but if you really knew what I was like, you wouldn't love me. So this idea that if my parents really knew what I was like. They wouldn't hold me in such high regard. They wouldn't love me. And, and that has transferred itself over to my life with the Lord. Oh. It's almost like if God really knew what I was like, he wouldn't love oh, me. No, no, hold on. So what I'm saying is that's a stronghold of the enemy. That is something yeah. that is not true and that is something that I have carried in my life through all these years. So now when I recognise it, I have to say, that is not true. Yeah. I might be lousy at all those things, 
But that is not true. And I am not having that. I am a new cre uh, creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. Whatever I was before, whether that was what I was like or not, it is not true now. But that involved me looking at it and saying, I don't want to waste any time with these thoughts, Lord. I can't live with these. I don't want to go on with these because they affect every part of my life. I don't want them. That's just one. I mean, there's hundreds more. I don't want them anymore. And I want to be rid of them. But that, that took me choosing. I had to choose. So when this happens, do we have to keep on consecrating ourselves? Well, I think you just... Yeah, I think you have to keep choosing to do what you know to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. and eventually... The enemy knows he's done for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what it says. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, it's not... That's James 5 or 7, I think. It's, you know, and it doesn't happen like that. You know, we're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm submitting to you, Lord, and I'm resisting the devil, so can he be gone, you know, now? I think that takes sometimes years. Years. Because we've got vulnerable spots. And the yeah. enemy always attacks them. Yeah. And so we have to be constantly saying, I'm not having that. That's not true. Yeah. Well, how do I know what's not true unless I've consecrated yeah. myself and decided I'm going to find out what's true and I'm yeah. going to live my life for the one who is the yes. truth. Yeah. So it's, you see how it's all connected? Yeah. You can't have victory without consecration. You can't have holiness without consecration. You can't yes. have a love of, of, you know, meaning and purpose without consecration. You must consecrate yourself. And that's, that's what I love in Joshua. You know, Joshua chapter 3, um, they're just about to cross the Jordan and go into, uh, into, into Jericho, actually. And, and Joshua, he says, consecrate yourselves this day for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders Amen. among you. And that's the thing. Consecrate yourself today. Don't worry about whether or how hard it's going to be tomorrow. Just yeah. do it today. Yeah. Do it today. Consecrate yourself and say you're fighting every thought that comes in and every feeling that comes in and every other thing. What is it? That's what Paul says. That holds itself up. Against the knowledge Thank you. Against the knowledge of God. That's what we're doing. We're fighting every thought. And when we do that, God makes good on his promise. Amen. He makes good on his promise. And you start to understand, wow, he really will complete what he began in me. Yeah. And I really will be like Christ when I see him face to face. Yeah. And I won't have to shrink back at his coming. Yeah. So, consecrate ourselves, purify our lives, dedicate all we have to God, and then urge other people to do the same thing. In chapter 30, we go on and we see the Feast of Passover is celebrated uh, because for years they have not done that. They have forsaken the most important part of their worship, the, uh, uh, the Passover feast. You know, when they came out of Egypt and God instituted the uh, Passover uh, in that night that they, inter uh, that they um, did the Passover for the first time, God makes an amazing statement. He says, this shall be... Later on, when he gives them the law and tells them to do that every year, um, he says, this shall be the first of days for you. He changes their calendar completely. So all the calendar they had 
the days and the months and the, the, all the things that they used to have, he completely changes when they get out of Egypt and he starts a whole new calendar. And guess what it begins with? It begins with Passover. It begins with Passover. So when you came out of Egypt and you were born again, God changed your calendar. You began new life on the day that you were born again. And everything changed. And so they have not done the most important um, uh, sacrifice, the most important worship event of their whole year, the beginning of their year. They haven't done for years and years and years. And so Hezekiah brings it back. And um, he brings it back in actually quite a strange way because it says in chapter 30, Now Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. Can you see what Hezekiah does, which has not been done as yet for, for several hundred years? What does Hezekiah do here that's unusual? He includes Israel. The um, 12 tribes that were split, you know, the 10 tribes of Israel going north and the two tribes. Hezekiah is the king of two tribes. The t 10 northern tribes, they've been taken into captivity largely. Almost all of them have taken off by the Assyrians. But there's still uh, Israelites left. And so he reaches out to them. And, and can you see how this is looking forward? What Hezekiah does is a picture of what is going to be done later when all the Israelites are coming back and they're all called in to the Passover festival, the Passover sacrifice. He um, gives them the opportunity. Um, and, and can you see, if they don't worship, if they don't celebrate Passover, that's like us being Christians without Christ. That's like us going to the church week after week after yeah. week after week and forgetting we're there because Jesus. That's, that's where we've got to. We've got a whole religion without Christ called Christianity. Yeah. And as long as they didn't celebrate the Passover, they did too. They had a religion without God. And he, uh, Hezekiah brought them back and he actually uh, sent out this invitation to all these people. They didn't all take it. There was a lot of them who laughed at the opportunity and said they didn't want to... Um, didn't want to come, but some of them came. And um, because he was sending them out um, to do that, they actually didn't celebrate the Passover until the second month. Can you see in, in chapter 30? Um, verse 2, For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month, since they could not celebrate it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient numbers, nor had the people been gathered to Jerusalem. So Hezekiah was calling on an old uh, uh, thing that had been allowed by God in Numbers. If you look at Numbers 9, um, God allows for the Passover to be celebrated in the second month for those people, who Israelites, who wanted to celebrate Passover but couldn't get to the place, where they, to the temple, because of where they lived or... So God allows it in Numbers um, 9. And the thing that you know, struck me with that is, you know, they had a very strict code, the Jews. 
They had a law that they had to adhere to. They had sacrifices they had to bring at the right time and they had these offerings and all of that. But what God told them right from the beginning is Passover, the most important feast, the start of your year. This is not a religion about rules. So there's, there's a flexibility that God builds in earlier so that Hezekiah can do this now. There's a flexibility in God's... God's um, it's, not, it's not a rule book, it's a relationship. God was more interested in those people coming than he was that they got there by a particular date. I think that's the uh, legacy that we want to leave one of the legacies. Yeah. We want to leave behind thinking of that young man that I shared the gospel with about four or five weeks ago. And he said, well, where are all the rules? Where are all the do's and don'ts yeah. in that? Yeah. And he was amazed that yeah. there were no do's and don'ts. Yeah. And so I think that really taught me a lesson of what, what are we saying to yeah. our young people? Exactly. Okay, so uh, we're just Second uh, Chronicles 30. Um, could somebody read from verse 13 to verse 27, please? Just read through, or two people, if you could split it in half and read that. Now many people were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very large assembly. They arose and removed the altars which were in Jerusalem. They also removed all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th of the second month. And the priests and Levites were ashamed of themselves and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood at their stations after their custom, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received from the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves Therefore, the Levites were over the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was unclean, in order to consecrate them to the Lord. For a, for a multitude of the people, even many from Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not purified themselves. Yet they ate the Passover, otherwise than prescribed. For Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek the Lord. The Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. The sons of Israel present in Jerusalem celebrated the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with great joy. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day after day with loud instruments to the Lord. Then Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good insight in the things of the Lord. So they ate for the appointed seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord God for their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. So they kept it for another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, 
gave the assembly 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep for offerings. And the princes gave the assembly 1,000 bulls and 10,000 sheep. And the priests consecrated themselves in great numbers. The whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there have been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? Don't yeah. you think? Never had there been a celebration like this since the days of Solomon. Um, you know, never had there been one. And Hezekiah, this was a, uh, a real response from the people to Hezekiah's actions. So he, he in, in some ways, single-handedly, because he began this, he broke with his father, and he began this, rededication, this consecration uh, to God and people followed him and that's what revival is revival starts with one person two people saying I'm consecrating my life to God and trusting that when we do that God always answers that consecration he always works through the person who consecrates themselves to him and it, and it doesn't matter how long it takes. I mean, there are stories in our, in our time of, of uh, women who sat and prayed for years and years and years for revival. And it came. It came from one or two people who sat and prayed day after day after day, who consecrated themselves and prayed, Lord God, we need you. Please come. So this is not about who you are. Hezekiah was the king, but it's not about who you are. It's about who God is. And it's about will you decide to do what you know to do so that he can do what he promises to do through you and through me. Do you know, sometimes I think if we could just hold on to the power of God that is at work in us, if we could just hold that for five minutes and decide that we'll trust it that he will work through us. Yeah. I mean, what we couldn't do, what the church couldn't do, it's just amazing yeah. what God would do through us. And here it says, Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced um, over what God had prepared for the people, verse 29 of, uh, verse 36 of chapter 29. And then the Levites arose and blessed all the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came to his holy dwelling place, to heaven. So their prayer reached heaven. Their prayer went into the dwelling place of God and God heard it. And that's what he promises us now through Christ Jesus. Come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. If ever a nation had need, it's now. It's now. And our prayers as we pray together from a consecrated heart, then he will hear an answer. Yes. 
And the only reason we don't do it is because really we don't believe that God will do it through us. This is true revival that we're reading about in Chronicles. It's true revival. Go ahead, Barbara. Can you only become <coughs> consecrated through prayer? Uh, uh, well, I think it would be hard to consecrate yourself without knowing the Bible because you wouldn't even know to consecrate yourself without the Bible. Um, <coughs> but consecration... I want to be consecrated. Okay. All you do is say that to God. You say, I'm consecrating my life to you. And what his answer will be is, okay, now we need to develop a relationship yeah. so that you know my thoughts. Mm -hmm. I already, he already knows your thoughts, so, it's like, so that you know his. So that's prayer and the word. That's what it is. And it's you deciding, knowing God is more important than anything else. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's yes. more important than he anything else. He says that, else. doesn't he, though? Um, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. Yeah. 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 Time. Yeah. yeah. And knowing God, Jesus says, this is eternal life that you might know him, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So that's what, that's what this is, knowing God. And that's the thing we forsake so easily. Because that's the thing that's just we don't have the time for. Go ahead. Isn't it the Holy Spirit in us who will actually... Because consecration involves all this clearing out mm. of the rubbish. And mm. that's, yes. it's, mm. it's, yeah. When you say, I want to consecrate myself, you also are implying, I want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's yes. promptings in me about the things I need to let go of. Yes, 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 exactly. And I'm just calling that knowing God more, so yes. knowing what he thinks. So that it's like, okay, Lord, you take a look at my heart, my life, my everything. Tell me what you think about this stuff. It's like knowing the difference between knowing about God and knowing exactly. God. Exactly, yeah. And I know, because I find that's the most difficult thing, yeah. is to find the time to do that. Yeah. It's David, just to sit alone. David said, didn't he search me, O God, and know, and know my heart? Yes, yeah. yeah. we know my anxious thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think Psalm 139, the last couple, no, the last couple of verses in Psalm 139, yeah, I think it is. Okay, so we'll, um, yeah, we're going to take a break, actually. Um, starting. So, Father, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this morning, thank you for the way that you talk to us and stir us up, thank you, Lord, that we're not on our own, that that you are with us and that you've put us into great fellowship. Thank you, Lord, that we can talk and share and pray for one another. And thank you, Lord, that you are here and that those prayers reach to heaven, Lord. Thank you. That because of Jesus, we know that every single prayer we pray, you hear and you care about and you will answer. So we thank you, Lord, for who you are and who we are in Christ Jesus. And we ask you now, Lord, to take us on further even, further, Lord. Stir us up, stir us up. Um, so that we can uh, consecrate ourselves to you more and more, every day completely surrendering our lives to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I didn't mention this morning, that was such a lot of announcements, but I didn't mention the fact that uh, we are going to start doing um, Desiring Truth missions. Um, yeah, we're going to do missions. <laughs> when I figure out what that actually means. No, no, no. We are going to do it. Uh, fortunately, there's a lot of people who know what it means. And I don't have to think about what it means. Um, we are going to do it. We have two places that we're going to go to 
initially, we're going to go, mission, we're going, the mission part of it is to go to encourage existing fellowships and churches who might need encouraging. And one of those places is my church in Wimbledon. Um, they've recently gone through a very big split and uh, they need encouraging. And I know that's why the Lord um, has taken me there. And um, it's a long story, which I'll go into at another time. But um, uh, yeah, we're going to go there as a group. If you're interested in going, what, what the idea is that we go there, we work with the people there um, in their church, we, we help them to put on different events. Uh, maybe something like um, a songs of praise day or uh, uh, painting your nails things for women or whatever, you know, some sort of event to bring people into the church to let this community know that there are, there's a church there and to encourage the members there to bring their family and friends and to just generally encourage one another and to uh, build up the name of Christ. We'll obviously also do street evangelism, which will be interesting in Wimbledon. So... Um, um, so if you're interested in any part of that at all, yeah. would you please uh, let me know? Um, and then we're also going to go over to Wales, to a small fellowship over there uh, in uh, Blanau uh, Festiniog. Um, and uh, encourage, uh, some of you all know Jackie and Charlie, who used to be in Siren Sister. Yeah. Uh, they're over there and... Um, in a way that only God could engineer, this whole thing has happened. And so we'll go over there at some stage and work with them and try to encourage yeah. them. Have you been um, invited to call them? Yeah. By Wimbledon as well. Uh, well, I, I said to Wimbledon, you know, this is... Uh, they're doing one of, one of the little books that I've written. They asked if they could do that as a Bible study. They're just starting a Bible study and they're doing that starting Thursday. And so I said yes, and I gave them the books, and I said, you know, God has just put this into our heads, really, to do mission. And I, I wondered if you would be, uh, if you would like us to come, and and they were just absolutely over the moon about it. They they were so excited and so keen. And I'd originally said, well, it's a shame Christmas is so close because Christmas would be a perfect time. But maybe uh, so we'd sort of talked about March next year time. But this Sunday when I went, um, they said, you know, let's do it quick. Let's do it fast oh. because um, they really are desperate. And, uh, um, What's the church it's called Hillside Church. Rose has been there. Has she? Yes, it's the one she came to when we did the Bible study there right. a long time ago. Yeah, so she's been into that building. So it's just really to encourage them to get some people going into their church. So if you're interested in mission, either you don't have to go every time, but if you're interested in the concept of it, going to encourage other believers and, um, you know, just let me know. And I hope that um, God is, is lighting a fire in you for something, for street evangelism, for missions, for, com you know, bringing people to conferences, for, for coming up with other ideas that we can do as a ministry together. You know, there's no end to what we might do. Really, there's no end to it. And so, um, yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, 2 Chronicles 30, uh, verse 20, uh, God healed, um, as, as Sheila pointed out. So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people, uh, <coughs> because Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, Pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek. May the good Lord pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. 
<coughs> so this idea that Hezekiah was saying, if, if their heart is for you, Lord, would you please pardon them and, and receive their offerings? And, and that's the truth of the Bible from the beginning to the end. If your heart is for God, he will never turn you away. If your heart is for God, though you keep on falling, though you keep on failing, though you keep on messing up, he will always take, you know, help you with the next step. He will always um, hold on to you. Um, so uh, the people, they extend their feast. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is supposed to be seven days. They extend it another seven days. They are so caught up in the moment in this revival. And in, in response to that, Hezekiah blesses them with a huge donation from the royal treasury, uh, providing food for that second week of the Passover. And um, everyone's reminded of Solomon and David, and the people are tremendously blessed uh, by God. Um, when you read these chapters, what you see is although Hezekiah, although it says it came about suddenly, there was a lot of work that went into revival. You know, individually, we talked about this uh, consecration, dedication, cleansing. Um, that, that's a lot of work in, in you that goes on. You, you have to choose to do that and then start to do it. But there was also a lot of corporate work. And that's why I'm always announcing things in this ministry, because there's a lot of work to do, and God is calling you into it. You know, I mean, I'm tired of saying, well, if you feel like this, or if you don't feel like that, or blah, 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 because... That's why you're here. That's why you heard this message this morning. Because God is calling you into something. Into something. You all represent different churches. I'm not saying it's like this or your church. I'm saying it's this and your church. So this is not an either or. This is both. This is how is God calling me to use my time and my energy and my gifts for his service. Um... So, uh, Hezekiah decided, he, um, he was intentional about everything, you know, we've been talking about intentional evangelism and intentional discipleship, He's, he, he was intentional about it all, he gets the right people in the right place, he starts in the right way, and he centres everything on the word of God, everything is centred on the word of God, and... Um, and really in that, I think we see a picture of revival because over the years, what we've seen in revivals is that they start really well and there are signs and wonders that accompany the revival. But unless the revival is individually, unless people individually apply the truth of God's word to their own life, yeah. Yeah. the revival just fizzles out. Yeah. The signs and the wonders stop and it just fizzles out. You see, that's why I said at the beginning, holiness is integral to revival. You have to put yourself into this picture that Hezekiah paints for us. You have to put yourself in. You have to be the person who consecrates themselves, the person who purifies themselves. At the same time as God is working in you, he's also calling you to do that. And then he will. What is it they prayed for in... Um, with perhaps the greatest revival Israel had ever seen, the world has ever seen, Pentecost, yeah. you know, this fantastic revival. Um, can't remember what I was going to say. Oh my goodness. You asked us what they said. <laughs> you asked us what they said Oh yes, it wasn't at Pentecost, it was a bit after, thank you Maureen. So what happens with Pentecost is there's this huge revival starts, 
But it does have personal application because people put their trust in the Lord Jesus and receive his spirit. And then they start on this uh, trying to spread the gospel, go out and make disciples, make disciples. And what you read is there's lots of opposition. There'll be lots of opposition to our work. Of course, there'll be loads of opposition. But that's the sign that it's what God wants us to do. There was loads of opposition to those early disciples. Peter and John taken to prison, told not to speak about Jesus. And they say, well, whether it's right in your sight or in God's sight, we can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. Chapter 4, that is, of Acts. And they come back to their people. They come back to their fellowship. And the, the fellowship that's been praying for them. And they say, praise God. God for who he is and this, all this glorious praise for who God is. And then, Lord, will you please give us boldness yes. to speak, boldness to speak, while you extend your hand to do signs and wonders. You see, the signs and wonders are all about God. The giving us the boldness and the holiness and the courage and the purification and the consecration and all of that, that's partly about us. So, um, yeah, so... Uh, what you see is if, if revival doesn't result in a heart change, if your heart doesn't change, then everything soon stops. If holiness doesn't go along with revival, it all fades away. Um, and really, do you want a God? Do you want to show a God to people who fades away? Is that the God you, you belong to? Is, is not God more real to you today than he was when you first believed? Is he not more wonderful? So why would we ever want to present a revival? Why would we ever want to be part of something that actually fizzled out and died? Because we're showing that we're then witnessing to a God who, who leaves. Why would you want to do that? So we know what it takes for revival. We know what it takes for that continuing work of God in our lives and in the lives of other people. And God's saying, will you do it? Will you do it? Um, Hezekiah, uh, sorry, Hosea, um, just, I've got a reference here from Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Um, Hosea, just a few, a little way along, well, quite a long way away along from Second Chronicles. Hosea chapter um, 10, verse 12. Um, this is to say, really, that the, the, where, where we do revival, where our culture is, where our church is, that all may change. We may need to present it in different words. We may need to do different things. But the principles on which it happens never change because God never changes. So verse um, 12. Sow with a view to righteousness. Reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to reign righteousness on you. Break up your fallow ground. I mean, I know I have fallow ground in my life. I know I have. I live very often with one foot in one place and one foot in the other. I have an unsaved husband and I would like to blame it all on him, but that is not true. You know, the pull of the world and of, 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 of everything else is so strong sometimes that you just get caught up in it without thinking. Without thinking. And, uh, I mean, it ha I was watching a movie last night. Um, I watched about half of it. And then they started using the name of Jesus as a swear word. Yeah. And uh, I let the first one go. 
And then I let the second one go. It was only in about five minutes of screen time. And then the third one came, and I just thought, you know what, I can't watch this. I was really enjoying the movie, but I couldn't watch it. And, and that, that's evidence, you know, probably ten years ago I would have carried on watching. That's evidence to me that God is at work. Yeah. But it was still hard to turn yes. it off. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just this pull is always going on. It's always going on. So, you know, but God doesn't change. He wants holiness. It's, you know, break up your fallow ground. That's what that's about. It's about saying, you know, okay, I'm digging this up. I'm doing my part to break this up. And I know that God will come in with righteousness. Um, uh, so that's, that's not where Hezekiah's life ends, really. He's instigated this big revival, but it's going to carry on. Chapter 31, verse 1. Now, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah, broke the pillars in pieces, cut down the Asherim, and pulled down the high places and altars, throughout all Judah and Benjamin, as well as in Ephraim and Manasseh, until they had destroyed them all. Can you see what, his, uh, what this revival led to? It led to them going back to their homes and doing what they knew to do. It led to them turning off the movie when they heard the name of God blasphemed. It led to them doing what was right, they went and they tore down all the Asherim. They tore down all the altars to the, to the false gods and the idols. And they decided that they would follow their God. I mean, you know that little song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And I love that second verse, though none go with me, yet still I follow. Though none go with me, that's the life. That's the life. Make no mistake. That's the life. There won't be very many people walking your path. That's the life. But what God's asking you to do is to say, God, you are worth more than the other people who would walk this, this road with me. You are better. You are much more to me than any other thing. If you want me to walk this path alone, I'll walk it alone. Um... Yeah, so um, 2 Kings 18, the parallel passage. I think I said 1 Kings earlier. It should have been 2 Kings. 2 Kings 18, um, verses 1 to 7. I mean, it's a parallel passage, so we're not going to read loads of it, but I do want to read um, those verses. Uh, now, it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, became uh, uh, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he um, became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze servant, serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. 
we see here what we already know. Hezekiah's wisdom and his ability to lead didn't come from his father. It came directly from God. And unlike his father, he followed the Lord with all his heart and the Lord directed his steps in a path of righteousness. And what an amazing statements there are in these seven verses. He did right in the sight of the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. He clung to the Lord. He did not depart from him. He kept his commandments and the Lord was with him for wherever he went, he prospered. This is the, this is the reality of a life lived for God. Yeah. This is what he decided. I'm going to do right in the sight of the Lord. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to cling to him when I'm about to fall down. I'm never going to depart from him. I'm going to keep his commands. And, I'm, and the Lord will be with me. And whatever I do will prosper. Prosper, not in, prosper in the Old Testament doesn't mean, um, obviously it doesn't mean amass great wealth. It means be successful. If you're going to trust God and cling to him and do what he says and, 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 and love him and all the other things we've talked about, you can be absolutely positive that you will be successful in what you do. Because what you do is going to be all for the Lord. Um, so, um, you see in Second Chronicles 29, Second Kings 18, that Hezekiah and all of them, they went on to break down all the false gods and here, even, we're told that they break down something called the, the Nehushtan, the bronze serpent. This Does was a... Now think about it. Go back, if you go back to Numbers 21, do you remember the Lord had sent a plague on Israel? Because they'd done something wrong. They'd been complaining and they'd, yeah. you know, they'd yeah. risen up against Moses and all that. And so... Uh, Moses cries out to God and God says put the serpent on the stick and hold up oh, the yeah. standard and whoever looks yeah, to the yeah, serpent yeah. will be healed. Do you remember that? Yeah, That's yeah. Numbers 21 verse 8 and 9 and it's just a wonderful picture of the healing that comes through Christ as we look to him yeah. up on the, on the cross. But can you see what they've done? Can you see what, you know, they're working the stick and not... Christ. They're wor worshipping the emblem of Jesus, the, the picture of Jesus given to them, but they're not worshipping Jesus. They're not worshipping God. They're worshipping something that God gave them in the past that brought healing. But they're not worshipping the one who did the healing. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And that is so true of us. Revivals. We're worshipping the, the signs and the wonders. Wow, this is great, this is great, this is God, this is God, let's do more, let's do more, let's do more. And we're all of us in one crowd going along and raising our arms and being stirred up emotionally. And it's all about our senses. It's all about what we can see and what we can't see and what we see and what we think God is doing. And inside, inside is what God is interested in. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in my heart. He's interested in the desires of that heart. He's interested in how much do you want me or how much do you want the symbols yeah. of me? How much do you want all the trappings of your traditions and your religions? How much do you want that or how much do you want me? So he, here Hezekiah even breaks down that, a symbol of healing, a symbol of a miracle of God. He breaks it down because they were worshipping that. We do that. We do that. 
nearly all forms of false religions and uh, they worship images. They worship images. Um, many churches have uh, crosses with Jesus on the cross. Well, Jesus was on a cross. He was on a cross. But he's not on one now. No, it's not that there's... I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong with having a symbol of Jesus on the cross. He died for our sins, and he paid a terrible price to pay for our sins. And it's good that I remember that. But if I remember only the Jesus on the cross, what is my life worth now? Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection... Your faith is in vain. We need to be worshipping the resurrected Christ, how he is now, where he is now. He's in my heart and he's at the right hand of the throne of God and I worship him there. I know. It's not that I don't love the cross, Lord. It's meditation and it reminds me of the passion. Yeah. And I do. I need that. Yeah. With lots of other people. But yeah. that doesn't mean we don't believe in the resurrection. No, 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 that's no, no. The no. pinnacle of our faith. I know, thank you. That's so great. First Corinthians, First Corinthians 15, that's wonderful. Yeah, that is the pinnacle of our faith. Yeah, I know but, she did, but I'm referring to yeah. it. Mm. I know she did. So, what I mean, uh, Maureen, is that, that many people, I'm not saying you, I'm not saying you. you. You come here everywhere. Oh my goodness, you're here. You're looking into God. You're trying to find God. You pray with your fellowship group. You're, you're, you're working in your community. You're doing all the things that you believe God is calling you to do. And praise God for that, Maureen. I'm not talking to you personally. I'm talking about churches that I go into that have Jesus on the cross and they have all sorts of other icons and idols around the room. And I've been in there. Anglican churches. I've been in there. This is not about any particular religion or any particular denomination. This is about people understanding Jesus is not on the cross. He's there. Yeah, Praise well, God yeah. that he's there. Yeah, because know that he's not on the cross. No, you do. But I live in a village where they go to a local parish church where the people who go to church, who would say they are Christians, who say they are Christians, they live like defeated sinners because they, they do not believe that the Lord has, has set them free. So they are constantly, constantly, oh yeah, well, we can't do, I can't do that. Oh, I, can't, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. Oh, well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't know if I'm going to heaven because I'm just not good enough. They're not good enough because Jesus is still on their cross because the resurrection proves he was good enough. Yeah. He's in heaven. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not talking about you, Maureen, and I'm, thank God, that I'm not talking about you. And I'm not talking about anybody in this room. We're here. We know this. You know 1 Corinthians 15. You know without the resurrection, yeah, our I'm faith is in vain. but other people in my church as well. Okay. Yeah. But I then, know that, that Jesus on the cross is so important to us. Yeah. What he did was so tremendous. Yes, of course. And that he saved us. Of course. It doesn't mean at all that we don't believe in the resurrection. No, oh. no. But I want to ask you, seriously, this is not for you to answer. Just the people that you, in your church, the people in your town, the people that you know, the people, whatever, wherever they come from. How many victorious, conquering Christians do you know? How many victorious Christians who live a life of victory in Christ Jesus because they believe that the resurrected Christ is actually living through them? How, or how many Christians do you know who are so weighed down by the weight of their sin that they can never get rid of? 
sins they did in the past, sins they're still doing now, sins they're worried about in the future. That's what this is about. It's not about you and rem you knowing. You do know. Praise God for it. It's about what do people see when they see that? Are they living a victorious life in Christ Jesus? You know how hard that is. I know how hard it is. And if I'm constantly reminded of the sin that put him there and the fact that I'm still in that sin, I'm never going to live a victorious life because I'm always constantly worried about the sin in my life. I want the victory, Maureen. I want us to be in victory. I want us to rise up like an army and go out and do what your heart longs to do. I want to make a difference in our community. I want to help people who don't know God. I want to bring them in and tell them about a Jesus who is not there anymore, who paid my price, but he lives in victory now. That's what I want. And it's not Catholic or Anglican or Presbyterian or Methodist or Jewish or, or Muslim or any of it. It's nothing to do with that. It's about who is Christ and where is he now? And can he help me? And can he help them? It is finished. It is finished, yes. Yes, I mean, I think probably we take the cross too lightly, Maureen, often. I think we do. And I, so I think it's not wrong to have a time where we are being brought back to the fact that Christ died for our sins. I mean, without, without that, we've got nothing. Mm -hmm. So I, if that's not wrong, but I want believers to live in victory because that's where God wants us to live. He wants us to live in victory. And, yeah. So, um, Numbers 21, 8 and 9, they're worshipping the symbol and not, um, and not God. John 3, 14 and 15... Um, can I interrupt you? Go ahead, yeah. We don't worship the cross. No, no, you're not. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking and about you. None of us do. It's there as a reminder. Yes. But there are people who worship the cross, not Maureen. At all. Yes, there, there are. are. Honestly. I'm not talking about, anyway, we're not talking about, I'm saying no. they were. In this, in this instance, in Hezekiah, he pulled that serpent down. He pulled that symbol down. Even though it was a symbol of God. He pulled it down because they were worshipping a bronze serpent. And one of the questions I've got here is what bronze serpent is there in your serpent is there in your life? What bronze serpent are you? Yes. They're distractions from the reality that you are being transformed into the image of Christ. Not for you, Maureen, necessarily. I know you're not saying for me, yeah. but I stand for a lot of people. Okay, well, I'm not saying it for them. No. You may know some wonderful believers, and I hope you do. Well, I do. Yeah, yes. wonderful. But, I, but you also know of people who are not believers. But we do not worship these things, and they're not a destruction. Okay. They keep our mind focused. Okay. Right? I can't say right to that, Maureen, because I don't agree. No, well, you need to agree, but it just yeah. frustrates me when you talk about, you know, worship and, oh, gosh. Well, we, ask we've yourself... We've taught from in the cradle, you don't worship, the, you only worship God, and only Him do we worship. Right. That's it. Okay. So I could tell you that God said, never make an image of me. Never make any image of me. It's the first commandment. Make no image of me. Make images. Yeah. But no image of me, no image at all. So 
So actually, every time we see a picture of Christ or a statue of Christ, that's an image yeah. that God has directly commanded us not to make. Not to worship. Not to make. Make for yourselves no graven images. That's carved images. Yeah. No images of things on, the, on this earth or things in the well, heaven or of God. I know. So what I'm, I know. So we're, not, we're agreeing to disagree. Go ahead. Mm. When you say about images, is mm. it wrong man to wear a cross? Is it wrong to have a cross? It's no. not an image. It's, it's a crucifix. But it's still a, a crucifix. Isn't yeah. It? A cross. The, the, the commandment is make for yourself no graven image of any yeah. animal or human. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to find it. Exodus 20. Four. You yeah. shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above i.e. him, mm. or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not adore them, nor serve them. Mm. Mm. Um, I think actually, Maureen, it's quite hard to speak for everybody. You're saying we don't adore them, we don't worship. Who's the we? I don't know any Christian that adores or worships a crucifix or a statue. Okay, but you, you, okay, okay, I do. I do, and I saw it at the Holy Sepulchre when I went to um, Jerusalem. Um, you said about the cross. Mm. The cross is not a picture of a man or a no. beast or an animal or anything else. So I would say, I would ask, why, why do you wear a cross? I would ask people, why do you wear the cross? I mean, people wear crosses, let's face it, non-believers wear crosses. You know, hell's angels wear crosses. Yeah. So what does it mean to wear a cross? I'm not saying it's wrong. I think it's great if, if it starts a conversation. But, but, but if you're wearing it, it doesn't mean that someone, because someone wears a cross, they're a Christian. And it has become a symbol of something that has no meaning. So uh, people, those people who wear crosses, I mean, some people who lose their jobs because of their crosses. So it obviously means something to them. But there are other people who wear crosses and it means nothing to them. Yeah. There are people who have tattoos on their arms of crosses and it means nothing to them. And the cross, as you say, Maureen, is the reason we have hope. And the crucifix is... That's what I mean, the cross, the crucifix. No, the crucifix has got Jesus on it. The cross is a cross is a cross. Okay. Um, okay. So, John uh, 3, verse 14 to 15, Jesus uh, talks about this in John 3, um, 14 to 15. Um, where are we? 14 to 15. Uh, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So, it was never meant to be worshipped in and of himself, and the human heart is very strange. We like to worship things we can see. We like to worship yeah. things we can see. And um, as I say, nearly every false religion every, uh, has symbols of things that we, they can, people can see because it makes it easier to bow down. Um, okay. Mm. I don't believe that because we don't see God, but we know I didn't say that. No, but I said all false religions oh. and all uh, the philosophies of things, people worship what they yes. see. Yeah. That's what humanism is. Humanism yeah. is a worship of humans because they can see that. Um, people worship, they like to worship instinctively. We like to worship what we can see. Um, so, 
Um, we can't see Jesus. That's what I mean. So it's harder to worship someone you can't see. No, they don't. Not in that way. No, they don't. No, they don't. Muslims don't have images of God. No, they don't. But, you know, they, they come to places, don't they? They go to Mecca. It, uh, they, they worship that. You know, I, when, I, when we went to Israel last, you know, I, I'm, I'm horrified when I go to Jerusalem and people make pilgrimages, pilgrimages to some of the buildings there. Not just churches, but other things, the temple places, things like that. Because actually the whole of Israel is a secular society. They are godless. They're godless. And when we look at Temple Mount, where the temple used to be, and, and all the Christians are, oh, it's so amazing, and blah, blah, blah. Well, we should be crying, because yeah. God's not there. And actually, anything that goes on there, where Jesus is not worshipped, is godless. Yeah. So it's, but it's because we see it's a place, it's, it's the thing, it's the symbol. Yes. Um, okay, so, take, as I said, I was going to ask you to take a look at your own life. Is there any bronze thing in your own life that you look to instead of the Lord? Anything at all that you go to before you go to God? Because it's all about him. Um, we live in a society that looks to wealth and health and all sorts of things, even without the religions, they're looking to all sorts of things. We live in a society that's changing all the rules to make it fit us. We're having sim symbols that we like. Um, I've also written down here, the Lord might give you a great pastor, great leader. There might be people you listen to online. There might be people you really think are great, but they're just people. Yes. Yeah. And nobody gets everything right. Yeah. And we are to worship God alone. God alone. Um, he might enable you to teach or to prophesy or to speak words of knowledge or wisdom or something else that you love. He might enable you to do miracles. He might enable you to heal. He might heal through you. If you start worshipping that gift, you are not worshipping God. And that's the thing. Now this is what this is about. It's about consecration of yourself to God alone. Yeah. A separation to God alone. To say everything else is not the same as you. Um, I'd say that there's um, just that other aspect of worship where the Lord has um, pointed out something in our lives that isn't right and we wantonly and willingly rebel against that word. Mm. Because actually what we're worshipping is our own will and our own way mm. and our own self. Mm. So sometimes we yeah. ourselves are the thing that we worship. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, mm. in doing that, we rebel yeah. against the Lord. What do, you, what do you mean that we worship ourselves? Well, if, I, if the Lord has shown me something in my life that I ought not to be there, and, and I heard him say that, and I see it in the Word, and yet I don't want to get rid of that. Yes, mm. yeah. Because I like it? Yes. Because it's too difficult anyway. He can't help me. Yeah. I'll carry on behaving like that, even though he and the word says yeah. you ought not. Yeah. So as we go on, Second Chronicles 31, um, uh, verse 2 to 21. Um, uh, we won't read it cause just for the sake of time, but what you see in those verses is that Hezekiah reorganises everything. He organises the priests and the Levites so that they devote themselves fully to the work of the Lord because they've never done that before. This is going to be their life now. They're going to devote themselves to the life that they've been called to, actually. And they've, uh, they've never done it. They've had this big celebration and this big and wonderful 
Passover and uh, sacrifices and burnt offerings and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that went on twice as long. They've had all of that, but now this is the nitty-gritty and Hezekiah sets them all about their work. He reorganises it um, and he, he institutes again the special offerings on special days and not just the main feasts. And he ordered the people to give the priests and the Levites what they were supposed to have. And uh, he just generally sets order in. He sets order in. This is what happens. This is what is supposed to happen after the initial hot flush, if you know what I mean. After the initial fire is lit and burned and people are really coming in and they're consecrating, this is the daily walking out of that consecration. And, um, and Hezekiah knew he had to do it because he knew that people need order. We need order. And uh, he set that up. The people responded to that, or that order and his orders very enthusiastically. They, in less than four months, it says, Azariah the high priest reported that the priests had an overabundance of food. So the people really enthusiastically came and did what they were told to do. Um, and Hezekiah and the rulers knew it was from the Lord, so they blessed the Lord, verse 8. And the storage rooms in the temple were prepared to house the surplus. Um, and the Levites were appointed to look after all the extra gifts and everything, Hezekiah did what was good, right and true before his God. He followed everything he knew to the letter because he wanted to serve and honour God. Sums it up in verse 21. Read that then, Barbara. Every work which he began yeah. in the service of the house mm. of God in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart. Yeah. What was that? Well, 21. 21. 21. Thank you, Barbara. Yeah. So, what can we take from all of this then? At the end, um, it says five past one, but it's actually five past twelve, just in case you're having a, you're getting worried. Um, okay. Hezekiah did what was right and good and true. He sought the Lord with all his heart. He determined he would do everything that he knew to do. So, what are we going to take from this? How did he know what to do? Because he listened to God. How? How did he listen Prayer. to God? Prayer and the word. He knew that what God had already laid down. He had yeah. all of that that God had already laid down. So he just looked at it and decided that's what we're going to do. God's already told us, so that's what we're going to yeah. do. So choosing, we, isn't it? Yeah. Choosing. Choosing. So we need to centre everything on what God has revealed. What's yeah. he revealed? Here. This is what he's revealed. So we centre everything on the word of God. Okay, what's the next thing that he did? What must we do? What are we going to take from this? Consecrate ourselves. Yeah, consecrate ourselves. With, for a revival to happen, what's, you know, it's, it's going to be individual. We need to be individually praying and seeking the Lord and choosing and consecrating. But we have to work together. Yeah. We have to work together. Yeah. We have to decide that our differences are not worth the uh, leading us away from the work of God. So, I mean, you know, that's amazing. Maureen comes and we disagree on a lot of things over the weeks. We do disagree on a lot of things, but she still comes. And she comes because this is what God is calling her into, I hope, and um, because she wants to serve and honour God and she wants to know God. Whatever differences we may have are not as important <coughs> as the God we serve. So we have to decide that, you know, I'm not right about everything. Maureen's not right about everything. But we're both right about one thing. Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. 
so we, that's the thing, we have to work together. And then what? So if we're going to work together, what's going to happen when we all decide to work together? What's going to happen tomorrow? Unity comes and there's a blessing. Yeah, there's a blessing. We're going to pray. Yes, all of that. But what will happen? We'll all pitch up here tomorrow and every day after that. And, you know, there'll be somebody who gets here and who's had a terrible night or a terrible couple of days. And I'm not sure I really can do this. You know, I'm not really sure that God really wants me to do it. And I know we all decided two weeks ago, but I'm just not sure I can do it. So what do we all need to be ready to do? Encourage. We must encourage one another. We have to encourage one another in our work. I can't tell you how great it is for me to receive an email that is encouraging. It's just amazing what it does. We have to encourage one another in the work of the Lord. That's why he's put us together. And then in the encouraging one another, so we're going to centre everything on the word of God, we're going to work together to clean up the temple We're going to encourage one another when the going gets a bit tough. And then what? The last thing. Yeah, maybe, if the Lord does it. We're going to give all the glory to God. All the glory to God. This is not about me and it's not about you. It's about God using both of us for his purposes. Do you believe Ephesians 3 verse 20? Do you know what that says? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything we can ask or imagine, depends on your translation, ask or think, to him be the glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything that we can ask or think. And my question was, do you believe that? That he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Beyond anything you can ask or think. Yes. Wow. He chooses again. Uh, he chooses what to do. He does. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's what we want. No. Can you say it again, Agnes? Yes. Um, now to him. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, to him be the glory, yeah. in the church and in Christ Jesus. Yeah forever and ever. Amen and amen. We've not finished though. So do you believe Ephesians 3 verse 20? If you believe Ephesians 3 verse 20, what is your next step? Give me a scripture. Do you believe that God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything Kim can ask or think? Do you believe that, Kim? In you. So what would you do if you believe that? What would be your next scripture step? Somebody help her out. It's not only Kim, I've just picked her. So... What would be the next step? Give me a scripture. Yeah, that's okay. That's not my one, but yes, that's a good one. It's good. Search my heart, oh God, and show me if there's anything. I'm... If there's any offensive way in the, yeah. in the way everlasting. Exactly. Okay. Mine is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Present your, your body, body a living sacrifice, sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That means all of you. Present every part of you to God. A holy, as a living sacrifice, that is your hope, that is your reasonable service of worship. That's a bit of a mismatched verse, but it does say that. Um, Now I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercies, to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service of worship. Then you will be able to prove what is the pleasing and perfect will of God. 
Present your body a living sacrifice. So if you present yourself a living sacrifice, what are you effectively doing? Surrendering and consecrating. You are setting yourself apart for God. Service of worship. Just write Romans 12, 1 and 2 down. It's quicker, Kim. So, yeah. So will you set yourselves apart for his use? That's the first thing. So will you believe he can do exceedingly abundantly? Will you set yourself apart for his use and for his glory? For his glory. And then will you encourage others to do the same thing? Will you encourage, will you decide, as Hezekiah decided, that he would do his part and encourage everyone else to do their part? Now, I'm not, that is not a small thing. Because in order for you to encourage someone else to present their body a living sacrifice, you have to really believe that that's what God wants us to do. And in order for you to con- um, consecrate yourself, <coughs> excuse me, and ask someone else to, or encourage someone else to, you have to really believe that he will do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you can ask or think. <coughs> we may not see that fruit, but as long as you plant that seed, yeah. that's the line. That's what <coughs> yeah, but uh, there's also, yes, that's true. But also alongside that, is the exceedingly abundant work that God will do in you. And that seed that you plant, though you may not see that in another person, it will reap a harvest in you. Because you'll know the joy and the peace in them. So, So, will you decide like Hezekiah, you'll do your part in cleansing the temple? Taking down all the idols? Because you've got them. You've got them. Yeah, me too. I've got, I haven't got loads, Kim, but I've got a couple. Yeah. And will you come to God in complete surrender? Complete surrender. And then will you truly understand that God will honour that desire, but your spirit is willing and your flesh is weak. So you must consistently and constantly fight the good fight. You have to continually... Uh, you know, bat away those uh, false ideas and things that the enemy throws at you and that you throw at yourself. (coughs) And you just have to tell God, it's it's only about you, Lord, and I want what you want. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that um, you have um, brought us together in this place. Thank you, Father, for your word, which is amazing to me. Thank you that... In Hezekiah's life, we can see all of this, and thank you that you enable us to apply the truth <coughs> to our own life. Father, I pray that we would take it out with us when we go, and that we would be really um, listening to your voice as you seek to take us further in this life of faith that we're living. Thank <coughs> you for each other. Thank you that we can encourage one another. Mm. Help us to continue to do that, Lord God. Mm. Um, for our own joy, really, and for your glory. Yes. In Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. 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 Amen.